Okay, guys, we're in lesson number seven. Does everybody have a study sheet? Now, let's start. We're going to look at the nations emerging. So I want to kind of bring us up to date with where we're at, okay? We've looked at creation. We looked at the creation of man and woman. We looked at the fall. Mankind becomes corrupt. Uh, we've seen that in the corruptness of man, God finally says, enough, and he destroys all of the world except for those on the ark, that's Noah and his family, and a certain number of animals, and life begins all over, okay? So now we're going to see, when we come to Genesis 10 through 11, we're going to see the nations emerging, So before we hit that, I just need to make one more comment to you before we reach this point, because this is the point where we're going to be before we get introduced to the patriarchs, okay? Now, it is very important for you to understand everything we've studied up to this point, because you need to understand how sin enters the world, and you need to understand the corrupting nature of sin, and that ultimately sin spirals everything down to a point where God says he's had enough. Now, I think that's especially significant because when you get to the New Testament, it very clearly talks about that towards the end of before Jesus comes back, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Okay? Like it's going to be like the days of Noah. Now, let me just stop for a moment so that you think, well, that must mean there's going to be one certain sin being prevalent, like homosexuality. No, no. It just means that men are going to be so corrupted that every thought that they think is going to be evil or have an evil intent. It's about sin. It's not any particular sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's about people rejecting God And finally, God says, I've had enough. Now, you say, is that possible, that God would say he has enough? Well, at some point, every nation, that includes our nation, reaches a point where God says he's done. How do you know that? Well, I was just looking at the prophecy that God gave to Abraham when he cut a covenant with him, and he said that, you know, your your family is going to be in slavery for four generations until, he talks about the Amorites, until the sins of the Amorites are complete. And what in the world is he talking about there? Well, we'll talk about that more when we get to that passage, but he's talking about that there's a certain point where God says he's had enough. Did you understand what I'm saying? And at some point, God's going to say he's had enough with this world. And his patience is going to be done. And it is patience. That's what Peter talks about. God is patient because he's willing that none should perish. But at some point, God's going to say he's had enough. And the world is going to be judged. Did you understand what I'm saying? The world is going to be judged. And we've seen that judgment already once in the flood. Well, how could God do that? He's the creator. Did you understand what I'm saying? He can destroy what he creates, especially if it's not doing what he wants it to do. So now we're going to see humanity re-emerging out of the family of Noah, and we're going to see these nations emerge, okay? So the first thing I want you to notice is is I gave you a map, okay? These are the descendants of Noah, okay? So you'll notice the descendants of Japheth I've got in red, all right? So Japheth 
is the descendants of Noah through the son Japheth, and they are in the red. Now, you notice, just for you, some of you guys who like to read your Bible and like to read what's going to happen in the future, one of the sons of Japheth is a guy by the name of, wow, I love his name, Magog. Okay? Now, where do we know that name from? Anybody know anywhere else in the passage that talks about Magog? Well, Revelation talks about Magog, but Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel talks about that there's going to be a battle in the future where this Magog, Gog and Magog, will attack Israel, and they're wiped out instantly. Instantly. Now, who is Magog? Well, look at your map there. Directly north of Palestine, or Israel, if you go straight up, it's amazing, you go right to Moscow. Moscow. Magog are the Slavic peoples. Just so you are aware, I th- I've noticed everybody here doesn't look Mediterranean, African, or Asian. Have you noticed? Look around. You guys are all descendants of Japheth. Do you understand? Now you're mixed up in between there. Everybody's got Cherokee in them, right? Okay. But you're all descendants of Japheth. Okay. Now, the descendants of Ham are in the blue. You see Put, which is Libya, Mizram, which is Egypt, Cush, which is Ethiopia, and of course you've got Canaan. Now remember the curse of Canaan? How it was misused to describe and justify slavery and the oppression of black people? That can't be possible because Canaan are the people who inhabit Canaan. Canaan. They're Canaanite peoples. Okay? So it's not possible. Cush, we believe that very clearly that Cush is, the descendants of Cush are the ones who inhabit most of Africa now. Okay? Then you have the sons of Shem. And they are located in the green. Okay? So there you go. You have the descendants of Noah. Now, this is just one generation after Noah. The scripture actually gives you another generation after that. So it fills in a little bit more. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have time to fill in another generation. Okay? So I'm just letting you know that they begin to spread out. But we're going to see some things here from this passage that will help us to see what's going on. And we're going to stop a few places and read some things so that we understand. So let's talk about the descendants of Japheth. So the descendants of Japheth, who number 14, were given first. Now you say, George, I don't count, I didn't count 14 names on my map. Well, they're saying 14 generations because that includes not just the sons of Japheth, but the grandsons of Japheth, okay? Not just the sons, but the grandsons. So they number about 14, and they're given first. These were northern people who were remote from Israel, okay? These were northern people who were remote from Israel. And we are the descendants of them, folks, okay? We are primarily the descendants of those northern people, all right? 
The descendants of Ham formed the eastern and southern peoples of Mesopotamia. Now, what we know today, if you look at your map, as Arabia, okay, or Saudi Arabia, okay, the Arabian Peninsula, in the ancient world was called Mesopotamia, okay? Mesopotamia. So these folks formed the eastern and southern peoples of Mesopotamia. The descendants of Cush settled in South Arabia and southern Egypt, Sudan, and northern Ethiopia. Just like kind of letting you know where these folks are all at, okay? We're going to get to some things more, a little bit more interesting here. If you're noticing your notes, I gave you a note on Gog and Magog when we talked about Japheth. Now, one of the descendants of Cush was a mighty king named Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, how many of you have ever heard that name before? Okay, a couple of you have. How many of you remember, there used to be these little evangelistic tracks that were like comic books, and they were called Chick Tracks. How many remember those? Okay, uh, Bob remembers them. I see Brad kind of nodding his head, okay? They were kind of cool stories to read, but they were somewhat kind of crazy, based on a lot of speculations. Now, one of the things that uh, Jack Chick did when he wrote those things is he wrote a lot about Nimrod. He kind of assumed a lot of things about Nimrod. The fact of the matter is we don't know very much about him. We just know that his name means mighty hunter and that he possibly was, well, he was probably a king among his people, okay? So one of the disciples was a mighty king by the name of Nimrod. Now, Nimrod was the founder of the earliest world powers. So in the beginning, even in the beginning, there were world powers in Arabia and Assyria. Now, let me just kind of remind you. So everybody knows Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula. Where is Assyria? Well, that would be what we know today as modern-day Syria, okay? Southern Turkey, all right? So he was the founder of the earliest world powers, Because the scripture says he founded numerous cities, including Babel and Nineveh. Now, isn't that interesting? One of the oldest cities in in existence was a place called Nineveh, which would always be adversarial to who? To Israel. Okay? So Nimrod founded these cities. He founded first Babel. And if you, let's, let's go back to the map for a minute. Let's go back to the map. Look right here. I put it in black. He founded Babel, which is near what we know today as Babylon, okay, which is down here towards the Persian Gulf. And then he went up to here, which would be what is known as Assyria, and started the city of Nineveh. Now, why would he do that? When you read that, you're like, why would he start a big city if he's a king in one place and then turn around and go to a completely different area and start another city? Well, there's some thought about that, even from this passage, and we'll see it here in a moment. So let's go on. Now, I mentioned to you, Mezraim or Egypt developed into the tribes that range from North Africa to Crete, okay? 
So North Africa, all the way up to Crete. Now, the descendants of Canaan became the cities and the tribes of the peoples living in the promised land. Okay? The promised land to Israel. Those became the Canaanite peoples. All right? Those are the descendants of Canaan. The Hivites, the Jezebites, you know, and so forth. The Hittites, the Amorites. These included the Sidonians, the Jezebites, the Amorites, the Hivites, as well as other Canaanite peoples. So I'll give you a moment to write down those funky names, okay? The Sidonians, that would be where we understand modern-day Lebanon to be today, okay? Sidon. The descendants of Shem dwelt throughout the Arabian Peninsula into modern-day Turkey. So Shem, the third son, he had descendants that dwelt throughout Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula and into modern-day Turkey. All right. The descendants of Noah were unified by a common language. So let me just stop now. So up to this point, we see that the people are spreading out everywhere, but everybody speaks the same language. Okay? And it's not Western Pennsylvanian. Okay? Everybody's speaking the same language. It's a common language at this point. Okay? Everybody's speaking the same language. Now, the text is wanting you to make sure you note that. Now, that would be very beneficial almost in every area of your life, wouldn't it? That would affect commerce. If I'm going to make a deal with you, we have to be able to communicate, right? And we have to be able to understand each other. If we're going to do education or something like that, you're going to have to have a common language. Language is everything, okay? Everything. So, now the people, at first, this is before they all spread out to all the different places, they settled in the land of Shinar, okay? Now, where is the land of Shinar? Again, if you look at your map, if you look at that area, that is where Babel is. That is called the land of Shinar. That today is in modern-day Iraq, okay? That area there between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers is the land of Shinar, okay? So they settled in that land, all right? Now, here's the story. So let's read the text, okay? Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad from the face of the whole earth. All right, so think about what they're saying. They want to build this tower, okay? They want to build a city for themselves, and they want to build this tower so that they can make a name for themselves. Plus, they also want to make sure that they don't spread out over the earth. Now, what's the problem with that? 
What did God tell them to do? Multiply and what? Spread out over the earth. Okay? So, let's go on. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Nothing that they propose will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse the language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Okay. Now, remember I told you there was a guy by the name of Nimrod who started one city called Babel? For some reason, he moves up to a whole other area and builds a whole other city. Why do you think he moved up to another area? Especially when it's linked to this story. Isn't it interesting? All right, so let's take a look here. They built themselves a city and a tower in its midst to reach to the heaven. Now, we believe that the tower, archaeologists believe that the tower, if you're going to go by the biblical story, had to be a ziggurat. Now, what in the world is a ziggurat? I know what a cigarette is, George, but what's a ziggurat? Okay, well, a ziggurat is a temple that was found in ancient Mesopotamia. It's similar to a pyramid. However, instead of, you know how a pyramid is like a triangle, a ziggurat actually is has steps, huge steps, okay? Do, do you know what I'm saying? And it's very similar to those that are found in, guess where? South America, among the Incas and the Mayans. Which, by the way, where did they come from? Well, they believe that they crossed the Bering Strait, came down through North America, through Central America, into South America. Where did they come from? When people spread out over the earth. Okay? So they were building themselves this ziggurat. Okay? This ziggurat. Now, let's go on. They did this in defiance of God's command. Okay? They did this in defiance of God's command so that they would not scatter across the earth. Now, I've heard some people say that the reason why God was judging them was because they were going to become so smart that they were going to become like God. No, that's not the issue here. First of all, God knows that man can never become like him. God knows that people can't be that smart. Okay? The issue is is that they were defying a direct command from God. It was all part of the Noahic covenant. What was the Noahic covenant? Telling them, multiply, be fruitful, and multiply, scatter across the earth. You can now eat animals. Anybody who kills will be killed. Remember, that was all part of the Noahic covenant. God was laying down the law. Guess what? They all understood that law, but they decided, look at what it says, we want to make a name for ourselves. Pride enters in. And they built the city because they don't want to scatter abroad. So they did this in defiance of God's command so that they would not be scattered across the earth. Okay? Now, you notice I gave you a biblical note there concerning the Tower of Babel, what is, what is known. Okay? So you can see that there. Um, here's the judgment of God. 
The issue was that mankind was trying to overstep his limits with God. Mankind was trying to overstep his limits with God. All right, now, why would mankind do that? Anybody got an idea why mankind would all of a sudden decide to want to overstep his limits with God and just flat out be defiant of what God's telling him to do? It doesn't take much to process that because we still do the same thing today, right? Okay. Pride, okay. Pride, big one, yes. Yep, man wants to be in charge, which connects with what Bruce was saying about pride, okay. Anybody else? All right, let's think about this. So we're not talking just 10 years after the flood. Because you don't have that many people. I mean, it's going to take a couple hundred years or more. People, I mean, several hundred years or more of people being born and being able to spread out, okay? So you're talking about time as far as the distance from the event moving forward. What happens with that? What happens to people? Do they begin to forget events? Do you know what I'm saying? Do they? Okay, so they forget events, but so that would lead to something else happening. What would it be? Unbelief. Do you understand what I'm saying? Unbelief. The people who were with Noah on the boat, do you think they believe God? Yeah, because they saw what he did. Do you know what I'm saying? Move forward about 500 years. Do you think there's people who believe God? Yes. But do you think a lot of people now believe? No. I mean, let's, let's take an example, okay? Because you, you notice things get different as time goes on. Okay, so some of you are from the generation where you were either born during the time of 1941 and the attack on Pearl Harbor, or you were from that generation right after Pearl Harbor, Right? And so you can remember those earlier years, December 7th rolls around, what did we used to do? We used to commemorate what? Pearl Harbor, right? Do you remember that? Big thing in school and everything? Okay, let's transforward now 70-some years later. December 7th rolls around. Do we even mention it anymore? Not really. Maybe a 30-second blip on the news on one station talking about the memorial happening over in Pearl Harbor, but we don't remember that anymore, do we? All right, let's take another one. A little bit, because everybody here, I think, is from that generation. 9-11. 9-11, very raw, right? Next year after 9-11, what do we do? Lots of, lots of memorials and everything. Every year, have you noticed now? Really big, every year it gets what? Less and less and less. You know what? We'll be gone, but our children's children, do you think it'll be just as big a deal to them? No. Just like Pearl Harbor, is that a big deal now? No. We don't think of Japan as the enemy anymore. We think of them as providing us video games. Did you know what I'm saying? So, do you, do you know what I mean? Nintendo. Okay? Mario. So, my point is, is that time goes on, 
Man, unbelief and pride. Listen, that's really the number one things that affect us every day, right? Our unbelief and pride. And we think we can go it alone. The issue was that mankind was trying to overstep his limits with God. Now, if they were allowed to do this, this is the point that's being made here. If they were allowed to do this, then mankind might entertain other thoughts in what? Defiance of God. If they were allowed to do what they were doing, they would entertain other thoughts in defiance of God. So God had to do something about that. God had to stop that. Okay? God had to stop that. Now, so guess what he does? <laughs> he confuses their languages. Do you know what I'm saying? He confuses their languages. That had to be freaky. You wake up one morning... And you're talking, you're talking, the neighbor next door is talking Mandarin. Or German. And you can't communicate anymore. Only, it's not just everybody speaking a different language. There's groups of them that are speaking a language. Other groups, and they can't. So what's what will happen? What's that going to do to commerce? Wow, big mess, isn't it? Like, have you ever been down to Miami and tried to order at a McDonald's there? And you're from Pennsylvania, and you only know one language? I've done that. I've flown down there. I remember this was in the 80s I flew down there, went to a McDonald's and ordered a burger, and I went up and I said, I wanted my order, and, and she's talking to me in Spanish. And I'm like, no hable. <laughs> you know? So they had to... I had to point out what I wanted. Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because we don't understand. Why God confused the languages. That would create an upheaval, wouldn't it? Create an upheaval. Why, now do you understand why Nimrod probably moved with whoever he's with and started a whole other kingdom? Okay? Started a whole other kingdom. Now, when we come to chapter 11, verses 10 through 26... He's, the author is going to focus on the descendants of Shem, but it's not Shem, all of his descendants, because we've already seen that earlier, but one particular line of Shem. All right? So the genealogy, genealogical, the genealogical record traces the line from Shem to a fellow by the name of Abram. And we know Abram because his name will change later to who? Abraham, who is the father of who? He's the spiritual father of all who believe, but he's the father of the Jews. Okay? The father of the Jews. 